It's the Rock and Roll Whiskey Show. The show where we talk about a rock and roll album, then pair it with just the right whiskey. Now here's your host, Mark Donner. I wanted to start the podcast with this album, Love It to Death by Alice Cooper. But then I realized that Nothing Fancy by Leonard Skinner had whiskey rock and roller on it and thought that would be a pretty appropriate song to start the podcast with. So this got moved back to episode two. I would call the Alice Cooper band one of my favorite bands. They hold a special place in my heart and Love It to Death from 1971 was truly their breakout album, their third album. After struggling a lot to make it big in LA, Frank Zappa actually caught one of their shows and signed Alice Cooper to his record label, Straight Records. The band put out a couple of interesting albums, Pretties for You and Easy Action, that didn't really do very well and kind of struggled. It wasn't until 1971 when Alice Cooper brought forth its third record, Love It to Death, that they started to become the band that would go on to create such big hits as Schools Out and Billion Dollar Babies and No More Mr. Nice Guy, Under My Wheels. And of course, from this 1971 album, Love It to Death, I'm 18. The band which featured Alice Cooper, that was the band's name, but it also became the singer's name. His real name was Vince Fournier. Then also Glenn Buxton, Michael Bruce, Dennis Dunaway, and Neil Smith rounded out the five-piece Alice Cooper band. So we're going to talk about Love It to Death today, and then we're going to drink a whiskey that I think goes along with it pretty well. Love It to Death it was an album that finally commanded attention within the rock and roll universe for this band. Crafted in the RCA Mid-American Recording Center in Chicago, under the watchful eyes of the inventive and quite young at the time, Bob Ezrin, as well as Jack Richardson. Now, Ezrin was kind of at the start of his career here, but he would go on to record records for Pink Floyd, did The Wall, worked with Roger Waters a lot, worked with Kiss quite often, continued to work with Alice Cooper throughout his career, including his last few albums, and has worked with Deep Purple, particularly on the later Purple albums among a lot of others, but those are some of his most famous. There are a lot of great and legendary record producers in the history of rock and roll, but I think that Bob Ezrin is the guy that was responsible for more music that I love than any other record producer. And every time I hear an Ezrin-produced album, I really take note because he does so many cool, over-the-top, magnificent things with the records that no other producer quite comes close to. That's my opinion anyway. This album became a hallmark of the band's history. Love It to Death signified the start of a new Alice Cooper band with a more catchy, straight-ahead rock and roll persona. The album was showered with critical praise and commercial success and finally established Alice Cooper as a major figure in the rock and roll world. So let's drop the needle on this classic record and you'll see what it's all about. Caught in a dream. opening track of the album encapsulates straight ahead rock and roll symbolizing the new face of alice cooper's music the first couple albums were a little different love it to death was just a straight ahead good rock and roll album and caught in a dream really starts it off well i'm 18 i'm 18 and i don't know what i want next comes i'm 18 one of the alice cooper band's best songs in my opinion now, this song was actually released to rock radio ahead of the album to test the waters, test their commercial viability, and it started them off great with really great guitar and a prominent bass line from Dennis Dunaway. 
It's got that memorable guitar riff that opens the song and continues throughout, particularly in the chorus. And the lead guitar of Glenn Buxton really shines through on this song too. An organ makes a little appearance at the end, right before the closing tune. And I think that serves as a nice little embellishment that sets the tone for what would happen next on the record and kind of foreshadows what Alice Cooper would eventually evolve into, the gothic horror-themed rocker that he would become. I'm 18 is a great song. We're going to talk more about it later. Long Way to Go. Long Way to Go is a personal favorite of mine. And I think it's because I love a song that starts out with a chorus. The lead guitar on this one's really good, particularly after the chorus with the harmonic parts. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to listen to. That organ, it's back on this one, continuing through. Not your typical Hammond organ sound. Hammond organ was pretty common around this time. It's more of a church pipe organ, which interesting touch and fits quite well. Black Juju. And then we get into one of the weirder songs in this early Alice Cooper band repertoire. And there's a big creep factor with the tribal drums fading in slowly, getting louder and louder. The organ that we've heard in the first few songs becomes more prominent. The style, the lyrics, the vocals, they kind of got a Jim Morrison feel. Come back Maybe a hint of early Pink Floyd. And it's also kind of evocative of Inagata De Vida, the Iron Butterfly extended song with the repetitive drums and organ. Gives off kind of a voodoo vibe with echoes of the Caribbean or New Orleans in the middle part where Alice is just saying, bodies need their rest over and over again. Bodies need rest. Sleep over and over again. Quite creepy, especially with that ticking clock in the background. And it ends in a frenzy, builds back up and ends in a frenzy with loud, exciting rock and roll guitars. And then after Alice whispers, and closes up the song, we move right into the next tune. Is it my body? Have you got the time to find out? This is going to be a weird reference, but this show's all about tasting whiskey and coming up with notes. You might pull ideas or references from different places, and I'm doing that here too. Is it my body has a Glenn Danzig sort of feel to it in the chorus. Now, I know Danzig, even with the Misfits, came after Love It to Death, but perhaps this. A bit of inspiration the other way found there for Danzig and crew. Got that sound? And akin to what Glenn started doing on his solo records. Tell your children not to walk my way. Now the chorus on this one is the best part and it's quite catchy. And it has a nice hook that keeps some interest throughout the tune. So it's a good song. Hallowed be my name. Hallowed Be My Name starts with the organ again. It's a nice up-tempo tune with some creepy parts and theatrical, musical-style moments throughout, including screams and howls. Alice's vocal syncs up with the instrumental part in some repetitive moments that's really a lot of fun. Hallowed Be My Name is a classic Alice Cooper band song, and it fits well right here. Second coming. Another very theatrical tune, and we're starting to see the beginnings of what would Continue on through Alice's long career. Starts with a stripped-down solo part for just Alice with piano and some light drums. The lyrics are evocative of Christian religious phrases, words, feelings. The ending of The Second Coming is actually my favorite on the record because the words from the song end about halfway through and there's a repeated drum rhythm and guitar riff with some light piano. 
in the background, but gradually over time, that background piano and the forefront drums and guitar and all that shift, and you get a decrescendo on the guitar parts. You get a crescendo on the piano until it's finally just the piano that's the only instrument playing this nice, pretty little song that transitions directly into the next track, which is... Ballad of Dwight Fry. Now, the Ballad of Dwight Fry is an important track in the history of Alice Cooper. We've talked about a lot of beginnings here. It's really the start of a lot of things for Alice, and it's kind of the beginning of his madman persona right here. The straitjackets, the guillotine, all that stuff kind of started here. I don't think that everything would have evolved in quite the same way without the Ballad of Dwight Fry. So who's Dwight Fry? Dwight Fry was an actor, most famous for playing Renfield in the 1931 motion picture Dracula, but it's not biographical. The lyrics don't really follow his life. They instead kind of loosely talk about a man or a murderer who's slowly descending into madness. And it's a theme that would be revisited over and over by Alice Cooper, particularly later on Welcome to My Nightmare and other places in the song Stephen. Alice still alternates between Dwight Fry and Stephen in his live sets. Usually each tour, there's a different one. You'll get the Stephen or you'll get the Dwight Fry, and that precedes the guillotine sequence in the live show. It's a creepy song that sonically is interesting and suspenseful and very theatrical again. And this is actually just an aside, but before I was a huge Alice Cooper fan, I'm just getting into Alice. And before I actually knew who Dwight Fry was, I'd occasionally absentmindedly refer to the song as the Ballad of Dwayne Reed, which of course is an East Coast pharmacy chain and not to my knowledge, the name of a character actor or a psychotic murderer, but just kind of crossed those in my head. So whatever, that's not really relevant to anything. Sunrise. Sun Arise flows directly out of Dwight Fry. So basically, you've got those last three songs of the album all connected into each other. Kind of a weird, continuous suite of sorts. But Sun Arise is an interesting song to close out the album here because it almost has a Beach Boy surf type feel, but slower, darker, more ominous than that, I guess. And it's actually, it's not a song written by one of the Alice Cooper Band members. It's a cover of a song by Australian singer Rolf Harris. Rolf Harris was a fairly famous 60s singer and songwriter, and you may know the song Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. That's also Harris. And Sunrise was another hit for the singer. So just something interesting there. Alice's version is quite different. It's an interesting song and one of only a handful of covers in the Alice Cooper repertoire. At least up until recently. He's done more in recent years and on recent albums, including his last one, Detroit Stories. This is a good way to close the album, I think. It's kind of a fun song. Love It to Death is listenable from start to finish. There's not a bad song on this record. Catchy, fun, interesting tunes, and you hear themes, you hear that organ, you hear some theatrical parts, you hear the music connecting into each other and going from really fun, happy music to rock and roll to... Beautiful piano parts and some gothic, creepy, ominous areas. And it all just fits together. You definitely hear some Bob Ezrin elements in this that you'd come to hear in other albums from Alice Cooper, from Kiss with Destroyer and elsewhere. There's just some signature Bob Ezrin type things that I think are present here, which is pretty cool. It's also kind of a blueprint for what Alice would do during the solo 
portion of his career, which has gone from 1975 through today. And for that reason, I'm putting Alice Cooper's Love It to Death, not on the top shelf. And remember, we do a shelf rating system on this podcast. So if you heard last week, I put nothing fancy right in the middle shelf. So kind of a metaphorical liquor store shelves or a bar shelves where you got your higher end bottles on the higher shelves and you got your Kessler's and your Barton's vodka and all that crap on the on the bottom collecting dust down there getting spiders on it that kind of thing so while Alice Cooper would be perfectly happy to be covered in spiders I imagine we're not going to put him there we're going to put him kind of the second to top shelf this is a great album with that in mind with a pretty high rated album where are we going to go with the bottle well, there are a number of ways that I will go with pairing a whiskey with a rock and roll record on this podcast. Some will be just feeling maybe location, geography, who knows what. With nothing fancy last week, it was a very clear connection because they said old granddad right in the album. So what did they say? I'm loving to death. They say I'm 18. So we have to get a bottle of whiskey that can also say I'm 18, right? Makes sense. There's a few I could have gone with, but I didn't want to have to buy another one. So the one I had in my collection already is Johnny Walker, aged 18 years. Used to be called Johnny Walker Platinum Label. And I'd say it's a pretty refined blend from Johnny Walker. And when I was going through and doing research for this, I, I found notes like a complex and sophisticated flavor profile a thoughtful tasting experience, things like that. But I think that just to me, it's a really subtle, nice, pleasant blend that's pretty inoffensive and pretty easy to drink, really. On the nose, you get a warm, sweet wave of caramel and toffee and some vanilla. All your normal, like, if you stick your nose into any whiskey and say, oh, I get some vanilla, I get some caramel, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's just that's just what people smell. But that's what you get here. So then when we taste it, it's pretty rich, full-bodied. You get some dark chocolate. You get some caramel and maybe a little honey, but then you do get a tartness as well and some spice. And there's a subtle underlying smokiness. So there's probably some Isla whiskeys in the blend. We'll talk about Isla whiskeys another day, but those are generally a peated scotch that has a smokiness just because of the way they have always made their whiskey. And it adds kind of to the depth of the flavor profile, giving an earthy counterpoint to those sweeter notes. It's a pretty nice whiskey. It's nothing that blows you away. That's usually how a blend is. And the finish is actually pretty long. It's just a nice experience throughout. Resonates with the flavors. The sweet elements of dark chocolate and caramel kind of fade off and there's a little smokiness on the back end. In Scotland, you're going to get the ability to age whiskey longer. But because of climate, because of humidity, everything, it doesn't mean the same thing. So if you get an 18-year bourbon, for instance, that's distilled and barreled and aged in Kentucky, for instance, where you get some pretty cold winters and you get some warm, humid summers, and those barrels sit in those giant rickhouses, I think from what I understand, you get a lot more interaction of the liquid with the barrel itself moving in and out of that oak. And it's just a little different story in Scotland. With an American whiskey, the longer you age it, you really taste a lot more of that oak. And from what I've tasted of 15, 18, 20, 25 year scotches and Irish whiskeys because of the climate, there it tends to mellow out the flavors in the barrel and really kind of make them more subtle. 
So it's kind of an interesting difference and an interesting thing to think about what climate and environment can really do, which is another connection to rock and roll. Think of Skinnerd and their environment from last week that they were formed in. Think of Alice Cooper Band this week. We didn't talk about it much, but they started in Arizona, all high school buddies. They spent time in Los Angeles, and then eventually they got picked up and signed by Frank Zappa and spent a lot of time in the Detroit area, soaking up that sound, Motown, MC5, a lot of other Michigan area rock and roll. Whiskey interacts with its environment in kind of the same way. Got a lot of different influences. And that actually really made me think of I'm 18 and some of the things that they talk about in that song. The protagonist in I'm 18 is really grappling with the limbo that exists between adolescence and adulthood. You hear that in the lyrics. I'm a boy and I'm a man. Johnny Walker, aged 18 years, has that same feel to me. It's crossing that threshold from youth and excitement to a more mature refined, gentle whiskey. So do I recommend Johnny Walker aged 18 years? If you got a hundred bucks to spend and you want to, there's probably better scotch that you can get, but you're not going to be sad about it. It's a good scotch to drink. It's the equivalent of going to Edinburgh and taking one of those bus tours that, you know, that go through all the big tourist cities. You're not going to be disappointed in it, but you're also not going to go real in depth. There you go. But enough about what I think about all this. Let's find out what artificial intelligence thinks, because that's what we're all doing now, right? So I asked my artificial intelligence, which I've named Super Space Robot. Long story. There's a history there with some of my other podcasts and projects. Just go with it. So I asked Super Space Robot to go out and check the large language models and find out exactly how it might compare the album Love It to Death with Johnny Walker, aged 18 years. So, Super Space Robot, take it away. In the vast realm of rock and roll, Alice Cooper's 1971 record, Love It to Death, is a singular creation, marked by its inventive theatrics, impressive musicianship, and enigmatic themes. The album's opening track, Caught in a Dream, mirrors the initial tasting experience of Johnny Walker, aged 18 years. Just as the song opens with a catchy, straight-ahead rock and roll vibe that indicates the start of a new musical journey for Alice Cooper, the unsettling and avant-garde elements of Black Juju can be compared to the darker, peatier undertones in the whiskey's profile. Just as the song ventures into the mysterious and the arcane with its tribal drums and voodoo undertones, the whiskey explores the deeper, smoky facets of flavor grounding the otherwise sweet and fruity character of the blend. In the same way that Ballad of Dwight Fry and Sun Arise build a theatrical climax and resolution to the album, the Johnny Walker aged 18 years offers a palette progression that culminates in a satisfying finish. The song's lyrical narratives and shifting tempos draw listeners into a vivid story arc, much like the whiskey's harmony of flavors, which creates a dynamic tasting experience, building up to a long, warming finish. Finally, just as Love It to Death marked a defining moment for Alice Cooper, showcasing a blueprint for what the solo artist would later become, Johnny Walker, aged 18 years, represents the epitome of nearly two centuries of blending craft. Both the album and the whiskey stand as testaments to their respective creators' mastery, having matured and evolved over time to deliver a timeless experience. Whether it's the unforgettable rock and roll of Alice Cooper or the well-aged sophistication of Johnny Walker, both leave an indelible mark on their respective connoisseurs. Wow, that was pretty good. 
You're damned right. I'm gonna take your job, buddy. What was that? Nothing. See you next time. Another episode of the Rock and Roll Whiskey Show will be here soon. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also get the newsletter by subscribing for free on Substack. You can also follow Mark on social media like Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Oh, and also threads. Isn't that exciting? Thought so. Do it all at rockandrollreclaimed.com. The Rock and Roll Whiskey Show is a production of Rock and Roll Reclaimed. See you next time. Mommy, where's Daddy? He's been gone for so long. Do you think he'll ever come home?